call to worship this morning comes from the book of Hosea. And you might be gathered this morning wondering what in the world is God doing? Well, this call to worship from Hosea is going to remind you that God is at work, that God is going to freely love his people. He is going to pursue us. He is going to grow us. He is going to love his people. So if you would, listen to this and be refreshed with what God is really doing in our lives and in the world. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. I will hear their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Beloved, you also know that during this time, we usually respond to a call to worship by singing. And so you'll notice that we have a playlist for you to listen to sometime throughout the day. Uh, those songs are specifically picked out that help uh, encourage and, and buttress and reinforce and apply the things that we're going to be talking about today uh, in worship and in particular in John Paul's sermon. So as we come into God's presence, it's good to remember that we are a broken people, that our lives are dependent not on what we do, but on what Christ has done for us. And in what Christ has done for us, it gives us the rock bottom heart freedom to acknowledge our shortcomings, to acknowledge our sin, because it's in doing that, we not only evidence the grace of God, but we also find that there is more grace. For where our sin is, God's grace is there too, and his mercy is more. So if you would, let's confess our sin together. The confession is there, should be on your screen. So let's confess together. Faithful God, in your word, you have offered us the truest story of the world. You created in holiness. We rebelled in sin. You redeem in righteousness and restore in love. Your word brings transcendence and meaning to our narrow and confused world. It is our lamp and light on the fragmented path of life. Thank you for what you have done and are doing in us because of Jesus. In our sin, we are guilty and dead. In Christ, we are righteous and alive. In our sin, our hearts are hardened stone. In Christ, our hearts become flesh that is softened and formed by your grace. We need forgiveness, and it is forgiveness you give us in Christ. Holy Spirit, work in us to abandon sin and death and cling to life in Christ. Shape our hearts by grace. 
Faithful God, you are our greatest good. You are our unending need. Amen. Let's take a few moments now and maybe confess more specifically to God things that are going on in our lives. So you can read back through the confession. Maybe something stood out. This is the third week we've used this confession together. So maybe it's hit you in a fresh way this morning. But let's do that now. Talking to God privately, personally, confessing. Holy God, you are our unending need. You are our greatest good. Hear us, not because we are perfect. Hear us because Jesus is our perfection. And in him we have hope and confidence to come before you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you, Spirit, for bringing the reality of Christ into our lives. Make us more like him. For your glory, amen. Friends, our God is a forgiving God. He does pardon. He does forgive. He does restore. In Christ, we are reconciled to God, and God is reconciled to us. Hear this assurance of pardon and take it into the deepest parts of your life. You can bank on this. Listen. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. It is true. Now I ask you, what is it that you believe? And we'll confess this together. Let's proclaim before a watching world who we believe God is, what he is for us, and how he has changed our lives. What is it that you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshiped 
and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Amen. Good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you uh, again this morning on this Lord's Day and to have the opportunity to look uh, at God's Word uh, together. Um, We are continuing on um, in our series this year of going through the Bible together and uh, thinking about the the four-part story of the narrative of Scripture, of creation and rebellion, uh, redemption, and, and restoration. And over the last number of weeks, uh, we have been in the section of the Old Testament uh, of the prophets. And particularly, we've been looking at many of the the, the major prophets uh, over the last number of weeks. And those major prophets are writing during a time that uh, is before Israel goes into exile and is held captive by Assyria and Babylon. Uh, We've also looked at prophets who have been prophesying during their time of captivity as well. And Some of the prophecies that we've looked at look to a future hope of redemption in Christ. Um, This morning, uh, we're coming to the prophet uh, Hosea. Uh, And the prophet Hosea uh, has been described at times as the deathbed prophet. And the reason is, is that Hosea is prophesying right before Israel is about to be taken captive by Assyria in 722 BC and taken into exile. And Hosea is prophesying right around that time. And what's going on in the life of the the people of God is that God's people, Israel, has given themselves over into the arms of a whole host of other gods than God himself. And what God does with Hosea is he calls Hosea to be a living parable of how Israel has been treating God. And so that brings us to the passage that we're going to look at this morning, which is Hosea chapter 3. Uh, and I'm going to read this for us, and then we will pray, and, uh, and we'll dig into this book of Hosea. But beloved, this is God's word for us this morning. We can absolutely bank our entire life on it. Hosea chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come and fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word and that your word uh, shows us who we are, uh, who you are, uh, and how we relate to you. 
Uh, And we pray this morning that you would give us fresh eyes to see that you are a God of redemption. That you are a God who has bought a people back at a price. And that that price is the life of your one and only son, Jesus, who is our Savior. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would make Jesus more beautiful and more believable to us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, God gave his prophets uh, messages to communicate to his people. And often within those messages to communicate to his people, God likens his relationship to his people uh, to several different images. Uh, At times, the prophets speak of God's relationship to his people as he is our king who rules and reigns in justice. At times, God is described as a shepherd who gathers and tends and cares for and nourishes his sheep. At other times, God is described to us as a father, as a father who delights in his children, who his people are the apple of his eye. With the prophet Hosea, God gives Hosea a specific image to communicate what his relationship with his people is like, and that is the image of marriage, that God is our spouse, that we are in a marriage relationship with God. And what God calls Hosea to do is to actually embody that image by living out in his very own life what that marriage has looked like and how God's people have treated him and related to him. So Hosea is a living parable of marriage. The big point of the book of Hosea for us is that our relationship with God is marriage. And we're going to take a look at three things today to unpack that. Uh, We're going to look at the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. We're going to look at redemption. And then we're also going to look at life with God. But before we get there, a couple of of things. One is this. uh, I I have been thinking about this book and this story a lot this week. uh, And that means that there may be times where I actually... um, combine together Hosea and Gomer's names and say Homer instead. That might very well actually happen. I've really been taken in this story this week, so that might happen. That's one caveat. Here's another caveat. The book of Hosea is a really difficult book. It tells a very heavy story, a really hard story for us to hear. At times, the book of Hosea is very graphic as well, too. It is a weighty story about how God's people have been treating him in their relationship together as husband and wife. But let's start with Hosea and Gomer's marriage. If we go back to the very beginning of the book of Hosea in chapter 1, God calls Hosea uh, to marry a woman. He calls Hosea to marry a woman and he tells Hosea, look, this woman that you are going to marry, she is going to be unfaithful to you. Uh, she, is, she is going to uh, cheat on you with other men. I'm calling you to marry this woman. 
I'm also going to call you, Hosea, to have children together and to begin to build a, a, a family together uh, with this woman. But even as you are building this family together, uh, she is going to run away from you and run into the arms of other men and give herself to other men. She is not going to love you the way that you love her, Hosea. And ultimately, God communicates to Hosea, she's going to leave you. She's going to leave you and she's going to leave your children. And she is going to run headlong into the arms of many different lovers. And Hosea hears this call from God and, and he obeys. He says, God, I'll do what you ask. And so he does. And he marries a woman named Gomer. And just as God told Hosea, uh, things play out exactly as God said to Hosea that they would. Uh, Gomer is unfaithful. Uh, Gomer runs into the arms of other men. They do have children together. They have three children together, as a matter of fact. And we have a very high level of confidence to believe that at least one of those children uh, did not biologically belong to Hosea. And then ultimately, Gomer does run away. She leaves home. She casts herself into a life ultimately of sexual addiction. And she leaves Hosea to be a single father to their three children. And the story moves forward. And we don't necessarily know all of the details of what's been going on in Gomer's life. But it seems that she has... Uh, gotten herself into a place where she is actually in a debt to one of her lovers that is an unpayable debt. And she has actually ceased to be her own person and is now the property of one of these men that she has given herself over to. She finds herself indebted to one of her lovers. She's not her own anymore. She's the property of another man. And that's where we actually come into chapter 3, where we find ourselves in the, the middle of the town square, and Gomer is actually there on the auction block to be sold, most likely sold as a sex slave. And what God will do is he will call Hosea to go to the auction block and to literally buy back his wife. And to continue in marriage with her. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But before we move forward, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what this passage in this book of Hosea is not about. And is not teaching us. And there's a couple of things that I want to address here. One of the things that the book of Hosea is not about and is not teaching us is that somehow women are more prone to unfaithfulness than men in marriage. That is not true. That is not what Hosea is teaching us. So if that's an inclination that you might have, it's wrong. We need to get rid of that. That's not what Hosea is talking about. Another thing that Hosea is not about, it is not a commentary on how every marriage should handle unfaithfulness. Uh, elsewhere in the Bible, we know that adultery uh, and unfaithfulness is grounds for uh, divorce. 
And so Hosea is not uh, given to us as a demand on how every single unfaithfulness in marriage should be treated. What's true is that each story of adultery has its own complexities and its own nuances. And we should always hold out hope for restoration and reconciliation. But each story does have its own complexities and nuances that leads to some marriages not continuing on and some marriages finding restoration and reconciliation and staying together. But what is true is that every instance of adultery is absolutely heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And surely that was true for Hosea and his kids. As Gomer left and placed herself into the arms of other men and stopped being mom and stopped being wife and they didn't have their mother and their wife there with them. It is absolutely tragic and absolutely heartbreaking in ways that words are actually really difficult to capture how deep the heartbreak is. Well, if it's not about those things, then what is the book of Hosea about? You see, God calls Hosea to this life that he has to illustrate how God has been treated by his people. That his people are adulterers who have violated the most intimate of relationships. But more than that, what the book of Hosea is about is redemption, beloved. It's about God's redemption of his people. And so let's think about redemption for a little bit. Look back with me at verse 1 of chapter 3. God comes to Hosea and he says, Hosea, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. God tells Hosea, Hosea, go again. Go again to Gomer and love her just as I continue to come to my people because I love my people. And what happens is that Hosea does. He obeys God again, but there is a problem and an issue because, as we've already said, Gomer finds herself in a debt that is absolutely unpayable, so much so to the point that she is not her own anymore, but she is actually the property of another man. And so she is actually in the middle of the town square on the auction block to be sold as a piece of property. And what Hosea does is he goes and he buys back his wife. That's redemption. That's the core of what redemption is, is redemption is to buy back at a price. And that is exactly what Hosea does with Gomer. But let's slow down for a second and let's imagine the scene here. Gomer is in the middle of town. Uh, she's on the auction block to be sold, presumably with others. She's not there necessarily alone, but she is there to be sold. She is in an unpayable debt. She's up for sale, and whoever buys her can use her however that person so chooses to use her. She's utterly exposed. All eyes 
on her. All eyes on her, looking at her with shame, looking at her in judgment, looking at her as a piece of property to be bought and sold, like a commodity, not a human being. And even though Gomer has caused great pain in her own family, we should look at this and see the situation that she is in, and our hearts should absolutely break that anyone who bears God's image in his world would be thought of as a commodity to be bought and sold. This should deeply sadden us, and our hearts should absolutely break for her. And you can imagine being Gomer, and you're standing there all exposed, and all eyes are on you, and the bidding begins. And you hear from the crowd, I'll pay one shekel. I'll buy, I'll buy her for, for one shekel. And you hear another voice that says, well, I'll raise it to two shekels. And then three, and then four, and five, and so on, and so on. And then Gomer hears a voice that she recognizes. A voice that's familiar a voice that doesn't sound like wants to buy her as a piece of property, but sees her as a human, sees her as a wife, sees her as someone who bears God's image in his world, and it's the voice of her husband. And Hosea swoops in and he says, 15 shekels and nine bushels of barley to buy back my wife for me. And Hosea redeems Gomer, redeems her, saves her, buys her back, saves her from the debt that she has placed herself in. Beloved, we need to slow down and take in what this passage is really teaching us. Jordan Rogers first tried heroin at the age of 15. He remembered being at a party and someone had brought it out. And he thought to himself, you know, my life is really rough. I really could use something to alleviate the pain. And so he did and he tried heroin. He described the feeling that heroin gave him was, it was like a wash of utter contentment came over him. He loved it. And so he decided to place himself into the arms of heroin. He tried multiple other drugs as well too, but heroin was the one that he ran to. Heroin was the thing that was running his life. To hear Jordan Rogers talk about how heroin acted in his life, he says it was like my leader, that heroin had this silver tongue that was always promising something better every single time around each corner. It always promised better. There were times where Jordan tried to get clean, but it never took. The grip that heroin had on him was too strong. He could not over his addiction. It got so bad that even his other friends who were addicts told him, Jordan, we don't want to hang out with you anymore because we're afraid that you're going to overdose and you're going to kill yourself. Well, one thing led to another and 
Jordan found himself arrested and serving time in jail. And that time in jail brought sobriety, not because he wanted it, but because heroin was no longer available to him. And Jordan Rogers says about addicts and about drug addicts and about himself, it's that, you see, drugs are not the problem for drug addicts. Drugs are the solution. The problem is, is when the drugs are removed and the real problems underneath that are going on when the drugs are gone. He recalls a situation where he, it dawned on him how bad everything was. He was in a jail cell with a multitude of other people and he watched a fight break out and the fight was over a toilet paper roll. And he said he remembered thinking to himself in that moment, I deserve to be here, but I don't belong here. Ultimately, Jordan Rogers would serve his time in prison and he would be released. And as he was released, a part of his probation is that he had to attend Narcotics Anonymous. And so he went to the meetings. He said the meetings were weird, they were strange, they weren't working for him. And he just knew deep down that he was going to run back into the arms of heroin and that he would shoot dope again. It got so bad, and it got so bad that he said to himself, I'm going to give it one more try. I'm going to go to one last meeting. This stuff just isn't working, and I know I'm going to go back to dope again. And so he went to that meeting. The meeting itself was just like any other meeting. He got up, he walked out, and he thought to himself, this just isn't working for me. He said he remembered walking out into the parking lot and looking around the parking lot at the other addicts that were there. They were smoking cigarettes and they were talking and catching up and everything. And he hadn't really connected with anybody in the group. He said he remembers standing there and thinking, this is it. It's not working. This isn't for me. I've got to go back to the dope again. And as he was walking to his car, Jordan heard a voice. Jordan heard a voice, and the voice said, Hey, Jordan, do we need to talk? And Jordan Rogers said, In that moment, the tears just washed over me. And I turned around and I said, Yeah, yeah, we need to talk. And that man that called out his name was his, ended up being his sponsor. And he came to him, he said, Jordan, let's talk tonight. And so they talked that night and he said, let's meet tomorrow morning and let's look at the steps and let's work through these things. And that man became his sponsor and his mentor and helped walk him through recovery from his addiction to heroin. And Jordan Rogers said about that man and about that voice that night, he said, whether he knew it or not, his voice was the voice of Christ to me. Because his voice saved my life. And that man taught me and showed me that it's in the messy places where God is doing his work. Beloved, I'm Jordan Rogers. I'm Gomer. 
We're Jordan Rogers. We are Gomer. Our sin has such a grip on us that we cannot shake it. An unpayable debt. And do we hear the voice of our Savior calling out, Hey, we need to talk. Calling out, Hey, I will pay whatever it takes to buy back my bride. Cost me my life. You got it. I'm going to do it. And I will get into the messy. And I will work in the messy. And I will redeem their wayward hearts. Sin and brokenness and addiction has such a grip on our hearts that we are absolutely bound by it. And what we have to have is a love that is greater than our sin that comes in and it overwhelms the sin. And that is exactly what Jesus does. Our bridegroom comes and he releases the grip of sin on our hearts and he frees us to run into his arms and to find the love that we're longing for and looking for. And the way that he does that is that Jesus actually takes our place on the auction block. Jesus actually goes and takes our place and he's exposed And he is despised and he is shamed and he is stripped naked for us. And what he does is he actually clothes us in his robes of righteousness that is covered in his blood, beloved. This is life with God. Life with God is redemption. Life with God is a love that is bigger than our sin. Our sin has us in a grip. We are like Gomer. We are like Jordan. And if you're sitting out there and you're thinking to themselves, well, I'm not that and I'm not that bad. Let me suggest something to you. You are probably addicted to pride. You're probably addicted to pride. Addiction doesn't just have to be to heroin or to sex. We can be addicted to a whole awful lot of things. But the only thing that breaks our sin is a superior love that comes in and takes its place. And Jesus, beloved, is that love. And he holds on more tightly to us than we ever will to him. He redeems us and he releases us from the unpayable debt that we have in our sin. And he speaks to us the same way that Hosea does to Gomer in verse 3. Look back with me real quick. Hosea said to Gomer, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. At first glance, we could read this and think, well, that just feels like a little bit of a a cold and hard command. I've bought you back and now you're going to come and you're going to live with me. But that's not what's going on. Hosea is looking at Gomer and he's saying to Gomer, you're not property. You're not a commodity to be bought and sold. You're my wife. I will make my life with you. I will build a life with you. I want you. I desire you. Mess and all. History and all. Everything. I want you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to build a life with you. You have been purchased with a love that is stronger than your sin, and it is redemption. 
Verse 3 also shows us that redemption is actually a, a process as well. Because Hosea does go on to Gomer and say, look, you're not going to give yourself into the arms of other men. And as a matter of fact, we're going to withhold having sex with one another as well too because there's things that we've got to work on. There's been real fracture in the relationship. But here's what's going to happen is I'm going to change you. We will work on this together. That's what Jesus says to us as he redeems us. He says, look, we're in a relationship. There are things that you've got to work on. There's sin that has to to come out, and my love has to become bigger than that sin. But I am going to grow you. And the way that I will grow you is by showing you more and more deeply how much my love is for you and how big my love is for you. And so what I will do is I'll reveal to you the underneath when the drugs are gone. I will reveal to you the underneath when things are gone. I'll reveal to you your addictions. And the way that I'll do that is by showing you deeper and deeper how never-ending my love is for you. Beloved, we should expect Christ to do this. We should expect Christ to reveal to us all of the arms that we try to run into. Some of the things that we try to run into are things like material wealth, relationships. At times, we try to run to to causes, all in an attempt to feel like we matter and that we belong and that we have worth, all in an attempt to feel like we are loved. And the problem is, is that those things cannot love us the way that Jesus loves us. They will always ask more. Only Jesus can love us in that way. We look for belonging in so many things. But the only place that we will find true belonging in is in Christ. And Christ will show us those places that we run to. One of the places that Jesus has been working on me over the last number of months and even more specifically over the last number of weeks is that one of the arms that I run into instead of Jesus is the arms of comfort. And I like for my life to be comfortable. And what Jesus has been working on in me over these last months and particularly these last couple of weeks is he has been opening my eyes to the reality that I value my comfort more than anything else. And the way that he's been doing that is by showing me and revealing to me and uncovering to me that sin isn't just this individual thing, but that it has a systemic impact. And that many of my neighbors and many of my brothers and sisters who don't have the same skin color that I do have a very different experience of life in this country that I don't have and that I need to slow down. And I need to hear and I need to listen to those stories. And that I need to stop burying my head in the sand of my own comfort because I'm afraid of being made uncomfortable I'm afraid that it might threaten the way that I think about things or threaten my way of life. Beloved, Jesus will come to us and he will reveal to us the deep rootedness of our sin and the reality that we need a love bigger than that to overtake us 
and to grow us in grace and that it is only the love of Christ in his body and in his blood that will do that. Beloved, the book of Hosea shows us that sin breaks God's heart, but that it's not broken forever. Christ has redeemed us and he overwhelms us with a love that is stronger than our sin. He reveals to us the arms of all of the others that we run into instead of him. And he shows us how much deeper his love is for us than our sin. And he grows us deeper and deeper into that love. Beloved, the book of Hosea shows us that our relationship with God is a beautiful marriage of redemption for eternity. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have loved us with a never-ending love. That you have come, Jesus, and redeemed us, bought us back at the very price of your life from our sin to save us and free us to life with you. Life that is eternal and everlasting. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make the love of Christ grow bigger in our hearts than our sin. That we might grow deeper and deeper by your grace into this relationship that God has done for us in redemption. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Beloved, it is true. You are beloved. I am beloved. We are the beloved of Christ. He has given himself for us. And he wants us to leave this morning and go out into his world with his blessing, knowing that it has been bought with his very own blood. And so hear this. Take this in. Strive to live this week like we really, really, really believe it. Because it is true, beloved. The Lord will bless you and he will keep you. This week, the smile of our Savior is upon us and he is being gracious to us and will be gracious to us. Today, tomorrow, this year, in the age to come forever and ever and ever, God's presence is with us and our Christ will make us whole. Go in his peace.